Lord, um, we, we bring in with us all the stuff that concerns us. Some of it weighs on us very heavily. Some of it we don't know what to do with. So, because we don't have the picture in our minds yet of the end from the beginning, because we don't know how to solve these issues, because we don't fully understand what we need to do. We bring those things to you today and we leave them right here. And if it'd be possible, we'd like to leave the burden of those things here today and replace those things with the peace and the hope and the joy and the love and the faith that your spirit always brings to us. So if you're, you're wherever you're praying, if you would turn your hands up. I like to do this when I want to receive something. Now, God, we receive from you all that you have to give to us, all that you, your spirit came to bring to us. We receive it all today. We receive what you have to say to us today. We, we receive the hope that you have to give to us today. And we thank you for it in your name. And everybody who wanted everything that God would give to them said, Amen. You may be seated wherever you might be. You know what? I psyched you out. Don't see it. Sit down. Stand right back up. Just hang with me here. We're going to read the scriptures together. I, I, my, my bad on that one. Um, we read the scriptures together out of, out of respect for God's word. We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 120 today as we begin a new series called Song of Ascents. I'll read it aloud. I call on the Lord in my distress. Anyone distress? Anyone? Okay. And he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you and what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated wherever you might be. Well, we're starting a new series today, and here's my goal, um, and I want to talk to you about specifically about this today, but I want to talk to you about getting your spiritual mojo back. Mm. Uh, I, and I, here's what I want to do to help you do that, and I'll explain more as we go through the message together. I want to invite you to go on a spiritual pilgrimage over the next several weeks together with us. I'll, I'll describe what I mean by that. But here's what I know. I know that uh, as human beings, we can only handle disruption for so long before we start to lose our drive and our motivation, and before we start asking questions like, where am I? Uh, what is important right now? Why are we here? And the longer the disruption happens, the deeper that questioning goes, and the more those questions sit on our shoulder, nagging us. Now, I... I um, um, you, can, you can Google this, but there's a, a common list that people refer to as the top 10 stressors in, in human life. And so I thought it'd be helpful. Um, I'm not sure if we'll have it on the screen here in the room, but for sure, if you're watching at home, you'll see that on the screen. The top 10 stressors, I'll read them to you. You see if during the last 10 to 12 weeks of all of this craziness, you have not experienced some of these. Already, here we go. Number one, death of a loved one. Number two, separation or divorce. Number three, getting married, number four, starting a new job, number five, workplace stressors, anyone workplace stressors, financial problems, number six, anyone had any worries financially in the last 
12 weeks. Moving to a new home, seven. Number eight, chronic illness or injury. I'm fairly certain a pandemic fits into that category of chronic illness or injury. Number nine, retirement. Number 10, transitioning to adulthood. Now I went back through this list and I counted. Okay, I started a new job. Um, I, I didn't just get married, but you know, started a new job, workplace stressor, financial problem, moved to a new home, chronic ill. I got five. How many you got? I, I, mean, I could tell you because I know um, in, our, in our church family, there have been people experiencing every single one of these. And COVID is this big, giant stress ball wrapped in a bubble wrap made out of stress, packaged in a stress box, sealed with stress tape, delivered by United Stress Service from stress.com, right? Isn't that pretty much how it goes? It's almost like uh, running a triathlon. You, you know what a triathlon is? You swim, if you were to do the Ironman triathlon, which I will never do, but you, you swim 2.4 miles, and then you get out of the water, and you run a full marathon, 26.2 miles, and then you get on a bike, and you ride 112 miles. Yes, those people are all crazy. But here's what it feels like, right? It's like we, we, uh, we started running. We weren't sure how long it was, and someone kept moving the goalposts on us, and now we, we're pretty sure we're running a marathon. We didn't plan to run a marathon. And then we got, maybe we stopped the running, but then we didn't realize someone was going to hand us a bike, and then they handed us a bike to get on it. And then we're, we're maybe we're going to get off the bike at some point, but we're pretty sure when we get off the bike, someone's going to force us to get in the water and swim 2.4 miles. It feels about like that. Am I right? Is that, is that kind of how you feel? And so if you, in the middle of all this, feel like you have lost your way or you have lost your spiritual mojo, welcome. <laughs> so has everybody. It's almost like we've been dropped at a huge mall and we cannot find the map that tells us where, you, where we are. You know how when you go to a mall, you don't know the mall. What's the first thing you do? You go in the door and you look for that big sign and what do you look for on that big sign, right? The red dot. And what does the red dot always say? You are what? Here, right? You can all respond. I know you've been sitting at home on a couch, but if you're in the room, it's okay to respond. I give you permission. You are what? Let's try it again. You are what? Yeah, yeah there we go. There we go. We're back. Uh, so you, you, we feel like we've been dropped at this mall with no clue where we are right now, and we cannot for the life of us figure out where the dot is on the map. And so together we're saying... Where are we right now? What's important? Why are we here? And so here's what I hope can happen for you and for us during this series. I hope through this series that we can get back on track. And I've got four goals that I hope to accomplish um, during this series that I hope can come home to your heart. Number one is this. I want us to pause and define again what's actually important. Because when you've lost what's important, it's important that you pause and find out again what's important. So we're going to pause and define again for us all what's actually important. Two, uh, we need to point our life in the right direction. And we've just kind of been, you know, which way do I go? And three, I want to, I want to help you find some freedom. And then four, give you hope. And, and the way I want to do that is invite you on a pilgrimage for the next eight weeks. Now, um, we're going to read these, the series we're calling it The Songs of Ascent, and I'll explain where we got the title of that in just a second. But for at least eight weeks, we're going to go on this pilgrimage together, and I want to invite you to go on this pilgrimage with us. Uh, one of probably the most influential, maybe the most influential philosopher of the last 200 years was a guy by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche was uh, the son of a minister, um, saw the religion of his day, and decided he wanted nothing to do with it. 
and became what most people would call the most influential philosopher of the last 200 years. He's an atheist, doesn't believe in God. But he said something that's incredibly powerful and profound. I want you to hear what he says. The essential thing in heaven and on earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. Great phrase, right? A long obedience in the same direction. There, thereby results, and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living. Now, you might say, why are you quoting an atheist philosopher? Well, because if something is true, it's true regardless of who says it. And honestly, he's right. We have to figure out how to continue in the same direction regardless. Now, the resource we're going to use for this pilgrimage for the next eight weeks is right in the center of the Psalms, uh, uh, 14 different Psalms known as the Songs of Ascent. If you have a Bible, um, there might be a picture behind me. Oh, there it is. Yep. You can that little uh, ascription at the top of the Psalm that says, A Song of Ascent. And if you look Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, you'll see that little title at the top of each of those songs. And um, these were songs that the, the, the Jewish people would sing three times a year on their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. They had three festivals that they would partake in. And three times a year, they would get all the kids, get all the family, put everybody in the minivan or camel, and then they would go up to Jerusalem. And uh, if you've been to Israel, you know that Jerusalem is one of the higher points. And so they would literally be going up usually on the journey. But it was also a metaphorical journey because they were going up to the presence of God. They were ascending. And so that's the title of this series, A Song of Ascents. And, and so three times a year, they would have a physical reminder that our life is meant for God. That's what a, that's what a pilgrimage is. Now, we don't really have pilgrimages or take pilgrimages as Americans. All we know about pilgrimages are people who came over and they wore black and big hats and they ate turkey with Indians on the first Thanksgiving. That's like pretty much our, I'm pretty sure that's what a pilgrimage. Little more than that. Um, the, the, a pilgrim is a person who sees their whole life as a journey to God. And so it's about the journey of faith, getting from here to there. Like if you've been around church stuff, you've heard songs like, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Or maybe you know uh, what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, where he said, hey, listen, our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. So you and I are ambassadors or emissaries or missionaries on a green card to the country in which we live. And so it's not so much that we find the dot on the map that says you are here as much as we walk up to the huge map in the mall of life and we find an arrow that says, go that way. That's what a pilgrimage is. Now, here's, here's what I know. I know that if you go on a pilgrimage, if you see your life in this context, what happens, the result is that you're able to bear the burdens of the present moment because you're living in light of where you are headed. Let me say that to you again because it's super important. When you see your life as a pilgrimage, like you're going from here to there, you're ascending to the presence of God. It enables you to bear the burdens of your present moment because you're living in light of where you are headed. Now, let me give you two really practical examples. After I was, uh, first, first place I was in ministry was this, uh, this little town called Wichita, Kansas, and I was uh, the youth pastor at this church. You may have heard of Wichita First Church, the Nazarene. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, <clears throat> but I, I, when we left here, um, I went to seminary in Kansas City, 
And in order to be able to pay the bills, I got a job with a corporation and worked there for a couple years while I was in, in seminary and taking classes at night and so on. And I, I not, not to pat myself on the back, but I did pretty well the job. I really did. Um, I, I uh, got a couple of company awards. I got several promotions. I moved up in the, in the company a little bit. And um, I didn't really care about the company. I, I mean, I didn't care. I didn't care about the organization. I didn't care about the result. I didn't care what they were trying to accomplish. I just wanted a paycheck, and I wanted to give my best because, you know, I wanted to do my work to the glory of God, and so I would show up every day. And I just never got sucked into all of the politics. I didn't worry about the results. I didn't, I didn't worry if, if, if I was doing a great job. I wanted to do my best, but I wasn't concerned about what everyone was saying. And I, I would routinely have people come to me, and they would say, how do you do this? How do you not get sucked in to all the stuff that's going on around here? And, and it, was, it was a giant aha for me because I realized, you know what? If I'm focused, because I was thinking beyond the time that I was there when I would be back in ministry and I had a different goal for my life and it enabled me to not worry about the things that were right around me. That's the power of going on a pilgrimage and seeing your life as a pilgrimage to God. Second example. When I was 13, I, uh, I wanted to earn some money, so I went to my parents and I said, you know, I'd, I'd really like to have some money, and my dad said, good luck with that, and uh, I said, okay, uh, how can I earn some money, and he said, well, I don't know, you can get a job, good luck with that, and I said, well, I can't, I'm 13, I can't get a job, what are you, what are you talking about, and he said, well, what if you went and mowed lawns, and so my dad helped me to uh, buy a lawnmower, and um, at 13 years old, I went out to my neighborhood. Now, we lived in, the, the, my dad was a pastor, and we lived in the church parsonage in this kind of older, established neighborhood. And so first house I went to was this, uh, this house across the street. Now, I'd noticed that across the street, this guy drove a Porsche, and he was single. And so I knew enough at 13 to know, if you drive a Porsche, you probably got money. So this guy will probably pay me bank to mow his lawn. So I went over, I knocked on the door, and I said, hey, you know, my name's Sky. I live across the street. I'm starting a lawn mowing business. I'd be very interested in mowing your lawn. And he asked me, he said, okay, well, how much would you charge me? Now, I had not thought that far ahead. I really I didn't have a business plan. I, I just was thinking he would offer me like $80, and it'd be, you know, that's how it works, right? I didn't, I didn't think that far ahead. So I didn't have a number in my head. So I, and I promise you, for those of you who are not in the, the worship center, the, the lawn was almost as big as the room right here. It may have been, I'm not, not exaggerating, it's huge. And um, so I, I said, $20? To which I, yeah, I can still remember the look of shock and joy that he had on his face. He, he went, okay, that sounds great. <laughs> and I uh, mowed his lawn. I got a few other, uh, a few other lawns along the way. Um, but I mowed his lawn and it ruined my lawnmower. Thank you very much, guy with the Porsche. So, <clears throat> but I learned something. I learned something from that, that job. Um, I, I learned that when you're mowing, you want to have nice straight lines and that the way that you get nice straight lines is not you hold the mower here and you look down right in front of you and you make sure you dodge everything and you make sure that the line is straight. That's not how you get a straight line. What you do is you look up to some fixed point in your future and you point yourself to that point in your future and you walk toward that point in your future. And when you get to that point in your future, when you look behind you, there is a perfectly straight line. Because you weren't paying attention. Because see, you were focused on some other goal, so you weren't paying attention to the trouble of the present moment. That's the power of being a pilgrim, seeing yourself as on a journey up to God. Now listen, 
pilgrims are going up, and I want you to go up with me. I want you to ascend, but you have to go there on purpose. You don't end up in Jerusalem on accident. The, Plymouth, uh, the, the pilgrims that landed at Plymouth Rock didn't end up there on accident. We may not know what will be there when we get there, but we have to intend to go there in the first place. And I want you to go up. I want you to go up with me. Now, the psalmist um, tells us in Psalm 120 the things that we're going to encounter when we go on the journey, and, and, and they're kind of warnings, and so I want to I give them to you. And, and there are three things. Uh, me, I'm going to encounter myself. The world context I live in. And then most importantly, God. So me, the world, and God. Now, where are you getting that from, Scott? Well, verse chapter 2, the psalmist says, deliver me, O Lord. And what does he say? What does he ask the Lord to deliver him from? From lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. And now you may say, well, he's talking about people who are lying to him. That's not what he's not talking about himself. No, there's actually a poetic device in the Psalms where the psalmist will talk to himself. So verse 3, what will he do to you and more besides you deceitful tongues? He's talking to himself. And, he, and so whenever that's happening, you know he's talking about you and me. And, and he would have been tapping into the prophetic tradition. Jeremiah, the, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, wrote in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, about your heart and my heart. And he said this, the heart is deceitful or slippery or tricky or, or has blind spots above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Like, who can actually understand why they do the things that they do? And this is what he's tapping into. And he says, you know, what, what's in store? Well, sharp arrows and coals. In other words, God, could you please kill and burn away from me the parts of myself where I'm deceiving myself about myself? I, I need that done away with. And now here's, here's what he's saying. If you're going to start the journey of a pilgrim, you have to own that the journey is yours and that you're your own problem. So much of the discourse that we're seeing going on in our culture right now is because people are saying, mm, not me, it's you. Someone else is the problem. I I've, may have told you this story once. Uh, I will tell it to you again. I'll probably tell it to you two or three times a year uh, because I think it's so important. Uh, one of my heroes is a guy by the name of G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton lived in England in the late 1800s. He was a, a provocative Christian, um, very well-known, wrote uh, was influential, and um, he always had a way of saying things that was so unique and so powerful. And, and the, the, the London paper of the day wanted to have this kind of essay, and so they sent out to kind of, you know, luminaries in the culture, and they, they said, we're going to have this essay, and we would like your response to this question. What is wrong with the world? You know, and they got all these responses from all these philosophers and theologians and whatnot. And G.K. Chesterton, four-word answer that sums up the problem. It's exactly what the psalmist is trying to say. What is wrong with the world, G.K. Chesterton? Dear sirs, I am. <laughs> I'm my problem. It starts with me. And the psalmist says, the first thing you're going to encounter when you try to go on the journey with God is yourself, and you've got to deal with you. Second thing is the world or the context that I live in. Where are you getting that from? Verse 5, um, he says, woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, because we all know where that is, that I live among the tents of Kedar. You probably vacationed there. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. Well, Meshach, Kedar, we have no idea where those places are, do we? What, 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 is, what is that referring to? Those are the places, he's, he's referencing the places that we all go. We all have Meshach and Kedar. And Meshach and Kedar in, in uh, current vernacular sounds like, you're not going to believe the idiots I work with. 
you have no idea what my family is like. You should see what my neighbor does. That's Meshach and Kedar. You won't believe what I saw my friend post on Facebook. That's Meshach and Kedar. It's, it represents the craziness of the world. It's, it's a label for the world that we inhabit that's spinning out of control, and it's the boat that you're, rock, that you're rocking in, and it's going from side to side. Now, this is uh, what the Bible calls the world. The, the world, in, in biblical understanding, is not people. It's the system that we live in. It's your choices and my choices and my blind spots and your blind spots and the policy that was created by this government and the rule that was put in place by this city and this police department and, and that company and all of the systems that, that maybe benefit me and benefit you but disadvantage somebody else. It's the giant world that we live in where we're like, why are things so broken it's the world. Now, I need you to hear what John, one of the first disciples of Jesus, has to say about the world. Because it's super important, because this is exactly what the psalmist is talking about. He's saying, listen, that, that, that system you and I occupy, this is what John says, John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. And then he goes on in verse 16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, my desire, my emotion, the lust of the eyes, what I want in my life, what I think I have to have, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And so the psalmist says, woe to me, I've started to love the world that I live in. I'm stuck. I've been sucked in. I've set up my tent in Meshach. And I've drifted in the world around me's direction. And John says, don't love the world. You're not going to find God there. And the psalmist says, woe to me. I've dwelt there too long. It's time to move on. Now, here's the good news for you. That's what a pilgrimage does for you. It gives you a way to move on. Now, there's a, a very special warning, I think, about the insidiousness of the world that's, I think, specific for people of faith, for people who follow Jesus. Because... Um, you can read the, the Psalm, one, Psalm 120, and you can hear him say, you know, deceitful tongue, you know, i got to put me away, and then, then there's the world, and you know, i got to put the world away and get rid of Meshach and Kedar and all those people that drive me nuts. And, but it's very easy to read that in a way that makes me think that I am better than other people, like those people struggle with those things. I've solved the problem, and I'm better than them. Now, Jesus is very very interested that we not get this wrong. And he tells one of my favorite parables. It's also one of the most convicting parables to me in Luke chapter 18 about two men who go up to pray. So there's, there's two men. They're both, they're both going to pray. They're both turning aside from normal activities. They're both seeking on the face of things God. And let me tell you about the second person he, he says. He says um, that there's a tax collector and a Pharisee. And the tax collector, you know, everyone hated tax collectors. Like they still, we still hate tax collectors. You with me on that? And Jesus says that this tax collector who was seeking God, he wanted something more in his life. He wanted to go up out of his circumstances. He says, this is how he words it in Luke 18, 13. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest, beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He recognized, I'm the problem. 
But then he contrasts that with the religious person who would have known all the language about the world and would have known what Meshach and Kedar stood for and would have understood that he's part of the problem and that sacrifices for sin had to be made. The Pharisee, verse 11, the Pharisee, though, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, like robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like this tax collector over here. Now, maybe you've heard the story of the Sunday school teacher who was teaching her kids this story and read this story to the children and said, now, children, you understand that, you know, we're not to feel that we're superior to other people and that Jesus is teaching us that we're to, um, you know, see ourselves on level ground with all people and made in the image of God. Do we all understand that, children? We get that? Okay. Now, children, let's pray and thank God that we're not like the Pharisee. Now, some of you laughed because you're glad that you aren't like her. <laughs> and then I laugh because I'm glad I'm not like you. <laughs> and, and honestly, that attitude, one of, one of the things decimating our country at this moment is this attitude of superiority. And in fact, I think that's one of the ways you know you're smack dab in the middle of the world. You're smack dab in the middle of Meshach and Kedar. It's because you have a superior attitude toward people. Now, you can, you can, you, that can come from two places. Number one, you can just think, I'm better than those people. Or number two, you're, you can engage in superiority as a way to minimize your own feelings of inferiority. Now, this is what I know. Either way, superiority always kills love. And honestly, isn't that exactly what's happening on every issue we're facing as a country? Dear God, thank you that I'm not like people who wear masks. Dear God, thank you that I see, unlike those idiots, that I'm supposed to wear a mask. Dear God, thank you that I'm not racist. Dear God, thank you that I see through this mess that it's a sham, and I pray against all those people who don't see it as clearly as I do. <laughs> now, I, I'm telling you, this is temptation number one in the pilgrim journey is the self-righteousness of the world. And, and it's the idea that it's the people who don't get it, like I do, who are the problem. Now, here's why this is so dangerous is because faith is a power tool. And if you misuse a power tool, the damage is horrendous. It's a tool instead to help me rightly assess my problems and know the God who can help me do something about it. And a pilgrimage, when you go on a pilgrimage, what you're doing is you're discovering that all over again. So there's, there's me, there's the world that I live in, but then there's God. And it's the memory verse that we're memorizing this week. If you're tracking with us each week, we're memorizing a, a verse. And um, it's Psalm 120, verse 1. I call to the Lord... In my distress. That's how he starts out. In my distress. In other words, maybe the problem, my distress, is from a problem that I caused. It's my fault. It was my decisions. It was my choices. I caused the problem. Or maybe the problem, the distress that I'm feeling, is from the world that I live in, and it's no fault of my own. But either way, I can call and look up to the Lord. So the prophet Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 55, 7. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. What's the psalmist telling us about God? That God's a God of grace. Why in the world would you ever go up to a God who isn't a God of grace? Now, maybe you've never thought about God in these terms, but God has no attitude 
of superiority toward you. Did you know that? God doesn't think he's better than you. Where do you get that from? Well, you could go to Philippians chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul tells us about the mindset of Jesus. And he says, though he was equal with God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a slave, humbling himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and under the earth. Have you ever considered that? God has no feelings of superiority. Who more than God could say, I'm better than you? And so when you, when you come to God, when you come with whatever distress that you have, because God is a God of grace, he's able to see your need and welcome you onto the journey. And so God's grace reframes your life and your journey. God's grace reframes the stress of COVID-19. God's grace reframes racism. God's grace reframes your drift. God's grace reframes the fact that you've lost your spiritual mojo and it says welcome. Join. Now, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, I, I would like to go on this journey. This has been stressful. I hope I as a pastor get to go on this journey. I hope it's not for other people. Have you ever had the experience and you see some people in an environment or a party or some kind of thing and you thought maybe you should have been invited to it and you weren't? You know how that feels? Where you feel like, what, I'm not, I'm not any good? This is not that. This is a standing welcome. So if you're brand new, and I know there's a, a bunch of people who have just been checking us out online. I'm so glad that you're joining us. and You may be in the room. I'm so glad that you're joining us. There's a place for you. You can belong here before you believe. It's okay. And this journey is for you. You don't have to know all the jargon and all the words. You don't have to do that. You just have to start. This is for the person who has knows better and has lost their way. And maybe that's you. And you're like, ah, yeah, I just, man, I spent too much for me. The journey's for you. Welcome. This can be for the person who's just, you've just drifted. You didn't, you know, that's what drift is. You've ever been to the beach or you've been in a boat and the anchor's not down. And, and um, we live near Lake Michigan. We take our kids to the beach and there's a, actually a current on Lake Michigan. And if you've been to the, at the ocean, it's the same thing. And before you know it, that current can carry you and you're looking at something on the beach here and that current can carry you way down there. And you look and you don't even know, this is how drift happens. You don't even know that it was happening when it happened. And you find yourself all the way over here and you say, how do I get back to here? And if that has been you, man, welcome. Welcome on the journey. Now, I want to give you um, a rule of life. I, we're going to talk about this a whole bunch more in the course of this series. And there are 14 of these psalms. We may not go through all 14, but we're going to at least do eight of the psalms. So it's going to get us all the way through the summer. So you got a pilgrimage that's going to get you all the way through to the fall. And I want to invite you on this journey. And so there's a, 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 a what some people call a rule of life that I want to give to you. And, and if you are in a group and you go to firstnas.org slash live and you click the link for the discussion questions, you can find these things listed there, this rule of life for the next eight weeks. But do these, do these things. Try these things on as part of your pilgrimage. Worship every week. You might not be ready to be in the room, but you can be online or you might want to try one of the zones, the vulnerable zone at 930 or the family zone uh, that some of you are in right now at 1045. 
just have a centering point, an anchor point for your week where you go, every week I'm just going to, whether I feel like it or not, whether I've gotten out of the I'm going to, every week, I'm going to worship. Second is we're going to take one of the songs that we sing and just give it to you as a soundtrack and encourage you to play it and sing it throughout the week and let it soak down into your heart so you have a soundtrack for your, for your um, journey um, for each week. And then um, third is scripture and prayer daily. Now this is, some of you may already have this practice. You know, I already do that, but maybe you don't. And this is a time for you to say, you know, I'm going to figure out how to read the Bible every morning and pray every morning to start my day with God. And then um, I think it's incredibly important that you have spiritual conversation regularly. Some of you are in a, a group or a class. And again, some of you are using those discussion questions that are based off the message each week. Now, listen, here's, here's what I know about coming into a group. Um, in, in the heart, in my heart, I don't want to come to a group where I know that I have to have the answers. But I would love to come into a group where people are okay with me having my questions. Do you feel that? That atmosphere of acceptance, that's what we want for you is to have spiritual conversation where your questions are welcome. And then serve intentionally. So maybe quietly a neighbor, a friend, someone at work, just quietly without any fanfare, do something for them. I've always found that when I do something for someone else, it always does more for me than for them. Every time. And then walk three times a week if you're able. If you're able to get outside, so I know some of you have been doing that, but walk three times a week. There's something about God's creation that helps to recreate us. I can't explain it, but it's there. And so I would encourage you to take advantage of that rule of life together over the next eight weeks. Listen, I'm going up, and I want to invite you to go up with me. Old song, old song. Some of you will hear the melody as I say the words. That it came to my mind as I was thinking about this. It says this, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Some of you know that song. What a beautiful picture. Lord, plant my feet. I want to go from here to there. And I want to go on the journey you're inviting. So here's what I'd like to do, if I could, if I could pray for you. I want to invite you, if you're in the room, to stand with me. Um, as we pray. And you say, how do I become a pilgrim? Well, you just decide to. It's not complicated. There's no sign up. You just decide. I'm going up. And I want to invite you to do that. Would you let me pray for you? Uh, Lord, thank you that you're a God of grace, that in our distress that we caused, we could still call on you. That in the world that we live in, that overwhelms us, that causes us stress and distress and discomfort, we can call on you. And so we call on you now, and we want to go up to where you are. We want to, we want to go on the journey. We want our life to be reframed in the context of our journey with you. We want to draw straight lines by looking at you. Oh God, we commit ourselves to that right now. So meet us like you've always promised that you would on this journey over the next eight weeks. And all God's people who wanted everything God had for them said, amen. We always leave you with a blessing. So you'll see some people hold their hands out like this. If you're comfortable with that, great. Receive this blessing. May you know the love of the God that you were created for. May you know that you're sent now to love that God, to love the people he loves who are made in his image, to serve them in Jesus' name. If you came with someone, hug them and tell them you love them. See you next week.